Hi, I'm Hannah Bailey. And I'm Tefra Jemian. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club and you're invited. Yeah! Before we get into this week's episode, a huge thank you to everyone who donated to our Indiegogo campaign this summer. We raised over $10,000 and we couldn't have done it without you. A special shout out to the following people for buying perks associated with our show. Cameron McNiff. Carly Natman. Belinda Moy. Shivani Bhatia. Brian Schoen. Christy Frost. Alyssa Rossellini. Shanna Bernier. John Milton. Erica Stutchberry. Sarah Elder. Brian Janess. Kendallin Aldridge, Matt Dever, Kirsten Otis, Kat McGuire, Howard Mitnick, and Peter White. This week, um, we're talking about Madeline Lengel's classic novel, A Wrinkle in Time. Uh, it is the earliest novel we've covered so far, published in 1962. It's one um, everybody knows, and it's one that Hannah had never read before, which uh, is really exciting because it's not that often that we find a classic that one of us hasn't read. Mm-hmm. Um, so this week we're going to be uh, we're going to be talking about it, and basically I'm going to be interviewing Hannah about <laughs> what it was like to uh, to encounter this novel that everybody and their mother knows um, as an adult, uh, mm-hmm. right after the movie came out, which neither of us have seen. Mm-hmm. But I've heard it's great. Yes. So, I mean, A Wrinkle in Time is the story of Meg Murray, her brother Charles Wallace, her friend Calvin, uh, a crazy intergalactic time-traveling adventure. Uh, what did you think of it? I liked it a lot. Um, yeah, it was it was really interesting reading it for the first time because it was it was something that I was like aware of when I was a kid. Because uh, my we def- like we owned the book in my house, and I think my brother read it and really liked it. And I feel I feel like I like tried to read it, or someone tried to read it to me, and like for some reason it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked it. I was like, there were a lot of things that I was like surprised by or it just like it doesn't follow a lot of conventions of like any genre absolutely uh, which I found really interesting and like refreshing and it's just it's very like charming and kind of like cozy Mm -hmm. but also like has some interesting things to say absolutely um yeah. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, I liked what you brought up about it being kind <coughs> of uh, genre bending. And yeah. I think even more so in 1962. Oh, I'm sure. Um, because now we do kind of have, especially in young adult lit, this category of like fantasy sci-fi mm-hmm. where you're kind of used to weird things happening. Yes. Um, but in the 60s, I mean, even young adult lit was a very small genre. It was like Nancy Drew and things like that. Yeah. Uh, I think maybe Ramona Quimby books were out at that mm-hmm. point. Judy um, Bloom yet? Or she's later? Uh, possibly early Judy Bloom, but I, mm-hmm. I don't know for sure that. Yeah. Um, and then there's this this crazy book that's written about a teenager and, and sort of written for teenagers mm-hmm. and is sort of magical realism and yeah. sort of fantasy. And, and sort of sci-fi. Yeah. It's very, it's very interesting, like the blend of, of sci-fi and fantasy. Mm-hmm. And also, like, 
like some theological elements. Absolutely, yeah. Um, it's it's a very interesting mix of yeah. of genre, um, and and also like a blend of just like a kind of coming of age awkward teen girl protagonist who feels out of place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's very interesting. The other thing that I really love about it because I mean I read it for mm-hmm. the first time probably when I was around twelve, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I had no idea it was published so early, and okay. I I love that it feels uh, so universal. It doesn't yes. feel located in a particular time. No, beyond that's it being pre-internet, actually. like that's that's always a yeah. clear cut off. But yeah. um, I, I find that really like mm-hmm. cool that it just feels universal. Yeah, it's true because it talks about like the world being unsettled and there being like darkness in the yeah. world, but like. It was probably talking about a specific historical period, but it 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 doesn't feel like centered in like the Cold War mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and the struggle of light and dark is something that that uh, persists throughout Madeline mm-hmm. Lund's well, canon, uh, yeah. which like you'll find out because now I've got you hooked. <laughs> yeah, now, now I'm just reading all of them, um, uh, which is a problem because I have other things that I need to read for next week. Oh, but so good. <laughs> I actually, I, I especially wanted to ask you questions mm-hmm. about this. Um, I think giving it to you to read, I was really curious to mm-hmm. hear what your opinion is. Because you're both a scientist and a theologian. Yes. And there's so much science and there's so much theology. Yes. Um, and I was especially curious about what your take would be on it from the perspective of science says no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think. So there, there definitely are like science says no things. Yes. In, uh, and I feel, like, I feel like they get more as the series goes on. I'm about halfway through the second one yeah. in the time quartet. Um I think with that one, you just have to remember that they didn't know a lot about mitochondria yet. Yeah. I mean, they haven't said anything wrong about mitochondria yet, but they, like, invented a whole other subclass of organelles that, like, aren't yeah. a thing. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, like, you can you can invent things. That's fine. I actually prefer that you invent fake biology than, like, getting real biology wrong. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I'm trying to think if there was anything... That like made me go super nope in uh, in this in this book. I think I didn't really feel like there was. Okay. I, if I'm I'm not like recalling anything specific. I think it was like like how I feel when I read like science fictiony things is like you can invent all sorts of stuff. Uh, I would like it to be like semi plausible, and right. I would like you to not get real facts wrong. Right. Um, like that's that's sort of how I feel. Um, and I should have paid more attention as I was reading huh. it, but uh, or like written things down because I'm sure I was paying attention. Um, I think if there's anything that's going to jump out and get you, though, it's going to yeah, jump out and get you. There wasn't yeah. anything super like that. Like in in the first book, there wasn't anything that got me as like that's not wrong. Um, in the second book, I remember they talk about a micro micro electron microscope, which like micro electrons aren't a thing. There's just like normal electrons, right. and it's not like micro electrons. <laughs> That's silly. Um, so yeah. that that jumped out at me. Um, but no, nothing like nothing super jumped out at me. I think also partially like I am not super a physics person, right. and like yeah. a lot of this is like. 
like physics right like real like real theoretical physics stuff um so if I like was up on theoretical physics I might have had like more of an opinion right but I'm more of a biology chemistry person right um and like I have like a I have probably more than a layman's grasp of physics but not not a super sophisticated grasp of physics right uh so like they didn't say anything that like sounded like super implausible to me okay i mean like shape-shifting is like not really a thing but (laughs) But isn't the principle of shape-shifting with them that they are like non-corporeal beings yes and so they're like projecting yeah actually not necessarily matter like that that makes a lot of sense that they're just like projecting uh physicality onto you um yeah i think i think that's what the principle is not that they're physical beings who can shapeshift but that yeah. they are because that's why uh, mrs uh which mm-hmm. is usually non-corporeal because she finds um it hard to it hard to manifest physically yeah that makes sense to yeah. me um, if that makes i mean i'm not a physicist yeah i i, <laughs> I mean i'm also not a right. guy. <laughs> i know a fair bit about biology but i think yeah. not as much as you um <laughs> I mean, so, I did. I did get most of a degree in it. So, yes, exactly. Um, uh, yeah, I think actually, I think I just hit on something. Why? I think I hit on the rule as to when sci-fi bothers me and when it doesn't. Okay. Uh, sci-fi and fantasy. I think I actually prefer when um, when books don't try to uh, like scientifies explanations for like uh-huh. the magical phenomena that they're doing because when they do they almost always don't make sense right um if you like know things about science uh <laughs> so i i prefer when they don't try to like science explain things yeah. unless they like i mean they like they they were like science explaining sort of the like tesseract but yeah. like either it made sense or i don't know enough about theoretical physics to have noticed it not making sense right but like there wasn't they weren't like trying to like biologically explain how they shapeshift. Yes. Um it bothers me when they try and do things like that. Yes. It's like no. <laughs> yeah. Uh so I think I think I I liked I liked that. Like I didn't there wasn't like a lot of like rolling my eyes or suspension of disbelief. Yeah. I think one of <laughs> the things happening. that I love with Madeline Lengel mm-hmm. is that she very freely um, blends magic and science. Yes, and and really almost treats them like there's no difference. Like yes. like, and I mean, I think and that's where like her that. theology comes in as oh, well. Yeah. Like there are things that are beyond human comprehension. Mm-hmm. We can work on learning little bits of them, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, a little bit at a time. But yeah, you know, uh, does it change anything if it's magic or science that causes Mrs. What What's it to shapeshift? Yeah, you know, for us, does it make a difference, or mm-hmm. is it just that's an amazing creature that can shapeshift? Yeah, and I don't understand mm-hmm. exactly how how it works and that's where the wonder comes in yeah I like that a lot and I like that you said that and that's maybe part of like why I don't know if I was like could have articulated this but maybe something that appeals to me is that's like very much my theology Mm -hmm. like a lot of my theology comes from like being a scientist and being like I mean I theoretically understand how all these things just like happened but I also like the more I learn about how intricate like biological systems are and whatever um, the more it like makes me think that there's something out there. Yeah. Um, so I, I like, I like that. 
Yeah. 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 I'd, I'd love to hear more about like what impacted you theologically from the book, if that's like relevant. Yeah. Um, um hmm. I don't, I don't know. Like, I think I just found it very interesting because you don't, you don't read a lot of books that are so like upfront about like assuming that God exists yeah. in a not preachy way. Mm-hmm. Which I found very interesting, and I really kind of liked that. Yeah, that they just like like the narrative very clearly assumes like a belief system where God exists. Right. Um. I mean, you also especially don't see fantasy and sci-fi that like assume that God exists. Yeah, absolutely. But usually, when you read fiction that like the author clearly like has a theology, it's much more veiled. Yeah. Like like. Like, it's, it's much more, um, like, metaphors and stuff. Like, I'm thinking of um, uh, uh, The Chronicles of Narnia is a really good example. Yes. Um, I don't think God is ever mentioned in them, but, like... Aslan is God. Aslan is God. Written, written by another Anglican, actually. Oh, yeah. Enough. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so I, fa- I found that really interesting and... Um, and kind of kind of cool from like a from from a perspective of somebody who assumes that God exists. Yeah. Uh, you don't read a lot of books that like overtly assume that God exists. Yeah. Especially books that aren't like doing it in a way that's trying to convince you of something. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of cool. Yeah, I've been yeah. Um, um, thumbing through looking for a quote, and I, I can't find the quote specifically. But one of the things I remember, and I remember this making a huge impression on me as a kid to okay. reading this book, mm-hmm. uh, when they're talking about the light and the darkness and the dark thing that's shadowing the earth. Yes. And um, Mrs. What's It quotes uh, the Bible, the, the, right. the light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not sh- understand it. Mm-hmm. And um, they're talking about the different warriors who have fought the darkness and it starts with yes. Jesus but then it's oh yes I really and Gandhi and Beethoven and yes uh, um it's a lot of different Euclid and, scientists yeah. and artists and Saints. and people of faith yeah. from from different backgrounds though yeah yeah, uh, yeah I really liked that um, I remember that I think that was one of my like early uh introductions to a system of faith that is maybe a little larger and more mysterious mm-hmm. um and I remember that being very yes. appealing to me as a kid yeah. I remember actually I was remembering a funny a funny little anecdote about this because I read so much Lengel in high school mm-hmm. and I'm going back to her now I, like this sort of sparked it for yeah. me this like returning to the books of mm-hmm. my youth and realizing how much she really shaped my philosophy and theology and that's cool you know as it is as such as it is mm-hmm. um and I remembered a moment when I was reading a Madeline Lengel book in the halls of my Christian high school, and my I ran into my Bible teacher, mm-hmm. and he looked at it and went, Madeline Lengel, hmm, she's a kooky Anglican chick, which, you know, <laughs> we could get into that statement. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I remember just, like, mm-hmm. I think that was the first time I had heard the term Anglican, and mm-hmm. I was sort of just like, what are Anglicans, and how do I be one? <laughs> like, <laughs> And now uh, I am. And now you are one. Uh, sort of. I mean, I guess I'm confirmed Anglican anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there's just, yeah, there's something mm-hmm. so appealing to her worldview, which yeah. I think has a has a real depth of, of 
faith and a real depth of trust, mm-hmm. but also a real sense of like the magnitude and mystery of the universe. Yes. Um, which I really, really, really love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a very like flexible, a flexible theology. Absolutely. Uh, which which I, I, I can get behind. Um, yeah. But yeah, now that you now that you bring that that quote up when she's t- listing all of the people who who fight against the darkness, I really liked that a lot. Um, I also like find the personified stars thing just like really charming, and it reminds me of um, "It's a Wonderful Life." That's that's a classic that I am not <gasps> super familiar with, actually. I think I've seen it once, but I'm not. Okay, I am gonna make you watch it with me. This <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but uh, this doesn't give anything away. But there's a character in It's a Wonderful Life who is. Um, oh no, he's he's t- he's an angel, not a star. But like, there's the like weird like bit at the beginning where like the angels are, you see them as like stars talking right. to each other. So uh, yes, I have yes. seen that. I have seen that scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think also. I mean, one could argue that angels and stars are fairly blended in Madeline Langle's universe. Oh, also, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a very rich, like cozy. Yeah. Cozy book, and I think I'm just always overwhelmed by how complete her universe is. Mm-hmm. From, I mean, obviously, like what, the more books you read, the more you see how you complete realize, her yeah. universe is. But, uh, but really, just from Wrinkle in Time, you can still mm-hmm. get everything is is working together. Everything makes sense. She has thought about mm-hmm. the the science and the theology and yes. the history. And, um, I mean, I think this book is a classic for a reason. It's just oh, yeah. extremely impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, packs you know, a lot in. And Lengel was a genius. Yeah, <laughs> yeah very. Yeah very well constructed and i just remembered the whole like really creepy dystopian planet uh and how that like really freaked me out (laughs) but it was very well written tell me about it uh it was well like well for one thing it was that was another like genre bending thing where i was like oh i didn't expect this novel to suddenly be plunged into a dystopia part way through like that's not what i was expecting um it's very creepy Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. And like very well written, and um, well, I was gonna say it uses the trope of, but she actually might be one of the originators of this trope of, um, like how you defeat a great evil is you have something that it doesn't have, and that thing is love. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Absolutely. Yeah. I think. I think it's. Certainly the Kamazot's dystopia is similar to like 1984 and Brave New World, which would mm-hmm. be dystopias that were already published okay. and probably dystopias that Lengel was familiar yeah. with. Um, but I think she makes it very overtly about love. Yeah. I, I think there's an element, I mean, there's always an element of the human connection being what overcomes. Being what overcomes it, but she, um, yeah. I, mean, I think I think that's one of the real values of having a female author, too. Yeah, uh, Especially, you know, in, in the 60s, um, mm-hmm. when that sort of modernism yeah. really made it, like, this is, I'm going to put on my lit nerd hat, but, like, <laughs> uh, uh, I studied modernism quite yeah. a lot in mm-hmm. university, mm-hmm. and um, there was such a... Uh, um, misogynistic push in the literary world yeah um 
sort of leading up to the 60s where mm-hmm. uh, emotion was not supposed to really be a, f- a factor okay. in literature. You were really supposed to kind of pull back and make things crystalline was a word they used a lot, like very spare and very like imagist. Mm. Um and actually, like, there was a lot of women getting pushed out of literary circles okay. because they were considered too emotional. And I just think, like, there's something so powerful about having an author who is now one of the most famous authors mm-hmm. in English literature, honestly. And I, I think yeah. there should be a lot more studying Lengel in universities yeah. and high schools and, and mm-hmm. everywhere. Yeah. Um, write a whole book where the power to overcome evil and I mean, and I guess the idea mm-hmm. that evil exists would also be a problem in, for the modernists. But yeah, it's about emotion and, and humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do love with Lengel that yeah. while she has absolutely a perspective of humans being small mm-hmm. and relatively ineffective in the grand yeah. scheme of things, <laughs> she also has such a respect and love for Mm-hmm. humanity and for the things humans are capable of yes. and I think that's something that that really 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 shaped my worldview and mm-hmm. it's something I've hung on to like I've been yes. called a uh, uh an optimistic pessimist <laughs> where and I think it's very very true <laughs> I'm like everything is everything is going to shit everything's going to shit everybody's mm-hmm. garbage but everything is also going to be okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I feel like that's really kind of Lengel's yeah. perspective there. Uh, is that we can overcome it. There are enough people who love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's about finding like the love in those unexpected places. Yeah. And, yeah. No, yeah. I really, I really liked that. I loved, I loved how that, that came to a climax that it was, um, yeah, that it was that like her ability to overcome that hinged on her knowing that she was loved. Yes, and then like jumping off from that, and that was very like it hit me. It's I'm like tearing up. It like hit me right in the feelings. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I really, I, I really liked that scene where it was like his mistake was telling her that, like I think it was Mrs. Witch hated her, and she's yeah. like, no, Mrs. Witch told me she loves me. Yeah. And then. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, God, what can yeah. that teach us about raising children, right? Like, yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. And just like treating each other in general. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, that brings it full yeah. circle to what you were saying before mm-hmm. about this being a book that has very large concerns, but also yeah. is the story of a misfit teenage girl yeah. who feels like nobody understands her and nobody sees her. Mm-hmm. Uh, discovering the love her family has for her, discovering mm-hmm. the love her friends have for her, and, yeah. and discovering the value she has in the world. Yeah, I would say even just like broader, like discovering that she is lovable. Yeah. Because um, I really liked that. Um, there's a really good, the scene where they're on the other planet with um, with uh, with Aunt Beast. <gasps> yes, yes, um, yes. Yeah. And, and she she has a reflection about like, but something about like if she is able to be loved by by somebody like Aunt Beast, then then maybe you know she is is pretty good after all. Yeah, 
And it's like... I think one of the really, uh, really yeah. wonderful elements of the Ant Beast story, too, mm-hmm. is that Ant Beast treats her like a child. Yes. And that's something that Meg has resisted and resisted and resisted. Yes. Um, and Ant Beast just kind of gathers her up and is like, no, no, you are a little baby and I am going to take care of you. <laughs> like and a little baby. It's, yeah. it's the first time you see Meg... Yeah, not being letting like a, herself be taken care of. That's true. Yeah, not yeah. trying to act like a grown up. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, uh, and that's really, really beautiful and and powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like in general, this book has like a lot of big things that it says in like very like ways like without like pomp or circumstance, but it just absolutely. sort of like says these like very profound and lovely things just sort of sprinkled mm-hmm. throughout and I really like that mm-hmm. do you want to do you want to touch on a few of your favorites yes your favorite so there, moments? there were a few that I wrote down that I really liked um so I mean I feel like this is a simple idea but this this sentence really stuck out to me which was of course we can't take any credit for our talents it's how we use them that counts yeah uh, and I really I really liked that um, who, who is it who says that do you I remember? think that's it's Mrs. Witch. Of course. Because okay. she's saying, um, like, I was chosen for this mission because I'm very good at verbalizing and materializing. Okay. Um, and she said, uh, but of so, course, yeah, yeah. we can't take any credit for our talents. It's how we use them that counts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Mrs. Watsit? Would that be Mrs. Watsit? Oh, Watsett? Mrs. Watsit. Yeah, yeah. That okay. would be Mrs. Watsit. Sorry. Um, okay. I just read that scene. So yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's in my head. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there was something else that I thought of that I really liked oh yes I know what it was um I really loved when when they're going to what's the name of that the dark planet again uh, I, Camazots Camazots um and and Mrs I think it's Mrs what's it is giving them all like a gift yeah to take with them and I love that um that it's Mega give you your faults. Yes. I loved that so much. Yes, that's a powerful. Um, yeah, like just like the idea that like the things that we have been like taught to see as our faults um, or that other people find inconvenient can actually be like powerful and important Absolutely. and some of our greatest strengths yeah yeah um, and i mean it's meg's stubbornness yeah becomes really important her stubbornness her resisting like authority for authority's sake yeah yeah her her ability to get angry yeah um all of which also interestingly are are um traits that i think if she were a boy would yeah be less uh, I was less denigrated. Absolutely. I was also yeah. thinking about that. Those are also mm-hmm. all like traits that are women are discouraged from having, but yeah. that are very powerful for women to have. Exactly. Um, yeah. 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 I think there's a, there's a lot to be said for, you know, telling a child, okay, you need to understand stubbornness is to be used in certain ways and I like I like how those two uh moments that you've brought up Mm -hmm. the you know it's not important where you got your talents it's important how you use them Mm -hmm. and also understanding that your faults or your so-called faults can be powerful yes I like how those two relate to each other yes because there's an element of maybe you can think of your faults as talents if you um, yeah depending on how you wield them exactly mm-hmm. yeah and i like that a lot yes yeah 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 absolutely yeah 
I like how um also like Meg doesn't like Mr. Jenkins, the principal. Mm-hmm. And that's because he's an ass. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. it's like it's very clear. Very that clear that he's he, yeah. He is an ass. He is a jerk. He is not a good educator. Not a good educator. He is he is predisposed to dislike Meg and Charles Wallace because, because of jealousy of their parents. Mm-hmm. Um it's just so clear yes that meg's distrust and dislike of this man is warranted absolutely warranted yeah um and that's that element that we come back to often talking Mm -hmm. about ya books of giving power to the to the kids in the books yeah and giving giving power uh reinforcing trusting your instincts yes kind of thing like reinforcing that like yeah, often if you think someone is bad, it's because they are. Yeah, like, absolutely. I also um, just, like, I want to address that this this book, yeah. so it's 1962. Mm-hmm. My mother was 12 when it came out. Okay. A lot of the time, uh, this is this is totally off track from the book itself, but I'm just thinking, <laughs> I was thinking about it the other day yeah. while I read yeah. it. Um, adults will talk about their parents doing harmful things to them. And we'll say, but you know, it was the time period. They didn't know better. And mm. I'm just kind of like, well, they had Wrinkle in Time. <laughs> <laughs> they had a Wrinkle in Time. They should have known better. Madeline Lingle clearly got these ideas somewhere. Yeah. Like, like. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a good example <laughs> you know. of that, which like you see in a lot of different places. Yeah. Um, yeah, is... Uh, yeah, like the the t- the times are not as as static and boxed in as we think they are. Yeah, and when you um, read when you read books from yes. all different eras, you, uh, you discover that. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I have a friend who's a classicist, and she talks mm-hmm. a lot about how we'll talk about like teenagers these days. She's Ugh. like, no, no, no. You read the classical texts, and they're they're, they're also saying, saying the same that. shit about teenagers. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like like teenagers are just universally teenagers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kids these days are universally yeah. uh, looked down upon by the uh, yeah. the in power generation. And it's just really wonderful to yeah. see that like I don't know all these baby boomers who are trashing millennials for. For for sticking up for themselves should maybe mm-hmm. go read some Madeline Langle. Yeah. 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 I'd love to touch for a bit on mm. the family. Yes. Um, because family is such a uh thread. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean not even a thread, it's you know, the structure of this yeah. book really in a lot of ways. Um was there anything that that kind of struck you specifically? I mean, the family in general is just like very tender, yeah, uh, and and lovely. Um, oh, there's this is maybe going on a tangent, but this was another one of those just like little bits of wisdom that the book plops in. Um, it's little like a little plop bit of wisdom, sadder. <laughs> but so there's right before they go to Kamazots, mm-hmm. um, they're at the the medium. They're with the medium. Yeah, the happy medium. Um, yes. And so she is... So she offers to show Meg her mother as kind of like a a boost before yeah. they go do this hard thing. And and Meg says, oh, we should see Calvin's mother too. Um, yeah. And, and, and like, is like let, lets him go first. And it's a very, like, sweet, thoughtful gesture. Um... But then, of course, 
you see what Calvin's mother is actually like. Yeah. Um, and you see that seeing his mother is not uh, not something like a strength-giving, yeah. a comfort-giving thing to him. Uh, and I think that that was just making a really a really interesting point about not universalizing your own experience. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And not assuming that that everybody's mother is a comforting figure. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I thought that was really, I mean, especially for the time, I think that's a little yeah. bit of a, of a, of a revolutionary idea, but I think that's something that is important. It's an important thing to remember Yeah. Uh, that like yeah. not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Meg is somebody who's very unhappy with her life yes. and who's had obviously a very difficult year with her father disappearing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it helps her empathize. It helps oh, her yeah. come out of her, everybody hates me and my life sucks mm-hmm. a little bit. Yes. And realize that Calvin, who's somebody she sees as like the top dog at school. And like having it all kind of thing. Mm-hmm, yeah. is, is somebody who really, mm-hmm. you know, has it really, really rough. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think, an important thing for Meg to see. To, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's also something really wonderful that happens in, in a mm-hmm. later book by Madeline Lingle where she actually returns to Calvin's mother and okay. uh, you get some of her backstory and you get oh. her somewhat humanized. And, That's great. Uh, I mean, it's still very tragic. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, but it's, it's mm-hmm. uh, you just reminded me that's a storyline that's yeah. coming to Yeah, that's really nice. <laughs> great. Mm-hmm. Look forward to it. Um, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that that I I got us a little bit off track of the topic, but yeah, the family is, the family is very tender, and it's also very like it's dealt with and really, it touches on a lot of really you know important things, mm-hmm. and I mean there's just a lot of like mutual care that's really beautiful, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, but also there's the really good plotline of Meg kind of like realizing that her parents aren't um, omnipotent, yeah. And then getting angry about that and yep. then kind of making peace with it and, and realizing that it wasn't fair for her to be angry about yeah. that. Yeah, I love that she's allowed to be angry at her father. Yes. I, I love that she's made space mm-hmm. um, for Meg to, to feel all the yes. feelings that come around a parent, you know, disappearing, even knowing it's not his fault. Still, those feelings of betrayal and yes. um, neglect. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's really powerful. Um, and Charles Wallace, who is completely unbelievable as a five-year-old. Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, which I yes. think is the point. I think the I, point is that he's like, <laughs> I mean, at least I kind of feel like he's being built up to like not entirely be human. Kind of, yeah. Or, he's like a special. Yeah. But um, I would believe him as like a seven-year-old, I think. Yeah, he's, like, he's definitely not a believable five-year-old. It was really jarring me this time yeah, because you have my an kid almost is almost five, and I'm just like, okay, like no. even with the ability to articulate, like, yeah. and I mean, like your kid says some pretty profound stuff. Yes, absolutely, uh, absolutely. But like, but not not Charles Wallace level. No, no. Which yes, I mean the the Charles Wallace is supposed to be a like surprisingly precocious child. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like a yeah. like an. Uh, an implausibly precocious yes, child. Yes. So I think he hits that nail on the head. Oh, absolutely. Um, but I um, do love that he still has vulnerabilities. And occasionally yeah, there yeah. are moments where it's like, oh, yes, this is a very young child. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He feels emotionally younger. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
But but I think that's actually really well done because he's not he's emotionally younger in like believable and like nuanced ways. Like he's yes. not just like immature, but he like he has that child thing of just kind of like wanting to fix everything yeah. and wanting yeah. to make everyone happy and being being really concerned when he can't do that. Yeah, and absolutely. like I think he's a really interesting study in like what would happen to like the empathy that most five year olds had if they could also like read other people's emotions. Absolutely. Um, I actually learned something very interesting from a uh, child psychologist okay. this week or a family psychologist this week. Mm-hmm. Um, because of course, like we understand my child has this drive very strongly. We've talked about it before. Mm-hmm. The drive children have to protect their parents or their caregivers. Yeah. And she, I'd never thought of it this way, but she pointed out um, it's it's a biological thing that's hardwired. Because as a small child, you know if anything happens to your providers, you're screwed Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you are completely dependent on them. And I had just never thought of it that way. I'd always thought of it as like, oh, kids are empathetic, like kids want to, you know, make things nice. But I hadn't thought of it as like, yes, like they... It's a self-preservation thing It's a self-preservation thing. And it is really interesting to have that Mm -hmm. drive sort of translated into a child with the intellect of an adult. Yeah, with the intellect Um, and these sort of like supernatural-esque abilities to no things yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah mm-hmm. yeah well there's so much there's so much more there's mm-hmm. so much more in a it's wrinkle a very, in time there's a lot um, packed into that little yeah book. yeah we do uh we we have to wrap up <laughs> yeah <laughs> but are there any like uh closing closing thoughts things we didn't hit on um uh hmm. that were I feel like we hit on, liked. like, most of my things. Um, yeah. Let me take a look at my notes that I took. Um, yeah, I just, it's, it's like, really, it's lovely, and I like it a lot. Um, yeah. Yeah, there was, oh, there was, this is another, like, little, like, pearl of wisdom that I really liked. This just kind of hidden. Um, one, one of the Mrs. W's is talking about tessering. Yeah. Um, and she says, it's very easy to do if you just know how. And that struck yeah. me as like <laughs> very profound. And yeah. Um, and like, it's true. Like everything that we know how to do, we think is easy. Yeah. At least that's like very true for me is like the things that like I know how to do seem easy. But, like, they're not easy if you don't know how to do them. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I think that's um, um, Lengel's respect for childishness and children yes. really shines through often mm-hmm. in her writing. And, um, yeah, when you think about sort of, like, walking, it's easy. But then you see a baby learning how to walk, <laughs> and it's not easy. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, or, or talking or... Uh, yeah communicating I mean Mm -hmm. obviously it's just something we all need to practice for our entire lives that's true I was thinking of like more specific things but like I remember always feeling or starting to feel that way when I got a little bit older when I I used to tutor math a lot right um and really being fascinated by that like how something that I find so easy can be so challenging for other people yes and like realizing that that's just like a thing I'm and like sure people's if you brains ever tried work to in different math. ways and it's yeah. it's just very 
So I, that struck me as like a profound thought and also a thought that's important for us to remember. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Because I felt like Mrs. W was saying it in like a not super self-aware way, but you're like getting it from Meg's perspective. Yeah. And so you get this really good, yeah, this like reminder that like we think that the things that we know how to do are easy, um, but but they can be like inconceivably hard to other people. Yes. In the case of math, absolutely. <laughs> Um, um, I do also remember when you were starting to read it, you mm-hmm. mentioned to me, I feel like there are not many books where the protagonist wears glasses. Oh, yes. I and, did like that. And glasses become like a, a significant mm-hmm. element. Yes. Um, and I just enjoyed you pointing that out because that's yeah. something as somebody who does not wear glasses, I yeah, wouldn't necessarily have noticed. It's definitely something I noticed because yeah. I wear glasses. I feel like there's like more of a resurgent in like more contemporary YA of like characters having glasses and like that like saying something about who they are or whatever or being something that they're teased about. Yeah. Um, but I really enjoyed that Meg also wears glasses in just a really mundane way. Like she like will like push up her glasses and whatever. Um, and I found that very charming because yeah. there, there's one, there's one like little thing where it says something about like how she pushed up her glasses. And I was like, I do that 20 times a day. Like, and it was just, yeah, I, I just liked it. Yeah. That's fun. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, mm-hmm. God, Lengel is just such an incredible writer, but yes. her, her, she's got the attention to the broad and mm-hmm. to the narrow, the, yeah. um, yeah. In a really big way. Mm-hmm. Well, Hannah, thanks so much. I'm so glad that you were able to discover a wrinkle in time for the first time. Thank you. It was yeah. it was real fun. Um, uh, yeah. Maybe some at some point we can uh, do an episode where we watch the movie and then compare yes. and contrast. Which because I basically because I really want to see it because I've heard it's very oh, good. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> um, I want to see it too. Yeah. Oh hi. Do you ever wonder if picking your own name for Secret Santa and then buying yourself a gift makes you a sociopath? Or if everything is everything, then how much of everything is there? Or what exactly a Moguana is? Well, <laughs> that one's just a way of saying more iguana. Or maybe you wonder what the death of a friendship over the course of 50 episodes sounds like. Whatever your questions, you can find the answers and also more questions on Lasers on the Ride podcast. Now a member of the Upford Network. Available wherever you usually get your podcast. Topics of High Importance, a podcast where we get high and explore food, science, gaming, pop culture, and beyond. Filled with super tangents, forgetful flubs, and that awkward kind of tension that can only be produced by a married couple. Topics of High Importance on the Upford Network. Join us, won't you? (laughs) Thanks for listening to Yeah! If you want to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, send us an email at theyapodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at yapodcast and individually at tefferbear and at thebalesosaurus. We'll be launching a Patreon account next week. Um, Now that the fundraiser's over, we can start uh, fundraising for ourselves. Um, And we'd love to know what sort of perks you want to see available for patrons. So let us know on Twitter, on Facebook, by email. Um, or just check back next week to find out what we're doing. Mm-hmm. You can also support us for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts and by sharing this episode with a friend. 
that really helps us get the word out and expand our listener base. So that would yeah. be great. Thank you so much to the people who have uh, already left reviews. It was yes. really exciting. It's always nice to see those. Mm-hmm. Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song Jenny's Groove as our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. This episode was produced and edited by Tom Zalatni as part of the Upward Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upwardnetwork.com.